This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Years ago, I remember listening to the radio, and there was a show on there that a very seasoned journalist used to bring. And some of you all are probably old enough to remember Paul Harvey. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? Oh, yeah. Paul Harvey had a little thing that he would bring out, and it was always called the rest of the story. I remember I was so enamored with that thing because he would oftentimes talk about personalities and events in history. And more often than not, he would tell the rest of the story about that personality or about that event. And he would bring to light things that most people didn't realize or didn't know. It was always interesting. It was so interesting that they put many of these things in a book. I still have that book in my library. And I miss that show, The Rest of the Story. And when I think of the book of Revelation, I always think of that, that I, hear, I hear Paul Harvey saying it in my mind, and now the rest of the story. Because that's what the book of Revelation actually is for the world that we live in. We've gone through history. There are thousands of years of human history, but the story isn't over. But there is a plan and a purpose in our story. And one day the story will come to an end. The beautiful thing about that is God has given us in the book of Revelation the rest of the story. You and I are able to know what is going to happen before it happens and how this world and how time will eventually come to an end. So it's privilege. It's a privilege that we have been privileged with to be able to have this book in our possession and to open it and to read it and to seek to understand it. Now, now here's the thing, though, about the book of Revelation. And when you say you're going to do a series on the book of Revelation, that's like saying there's free fried chicken or that Walmart's got a sale on cleaning supplies. People get kind of excited about it. We get, hey, Revelation, I bet he's going to talk about all the cool stuff in prophecy. And I've had people come up to me saying, Pastor, what is your theological and philosophical frame, framework for teaching the book of Revelation? I'll tell you what my theological and philosophical framework is. I'm going to preach it for what it says. Amen. And we're going to open it up and we're going to look at Revelation as God presented it. And we're going to allow Revelation to comment on itself. But when you say the word Revelation, people have a different response or reaction to it. For instance, many people think Revelation is scary. Oh, I don't like the book of Revelation, Pastor. It's scary. There's all kinds of rough things in it. There's all kinds of scary things in it. And you know what? There are some very difficult passages. There are some very difficult things that are coming. And some things are, I can see, they can be a bit scary. Other people find it rather confusing. They find it rather confusing. I think part of it is we make it harder than it needs to be. We often try to read into the book of Revelation what we want to see there. And we make a big mistake. And let me tell you the biggest mistake about prophecy in general, and the book of Revelation specifically, don't go to the internet. <laughs> there are prophetic web pages that are a dime a dozen. And 95% of them, well, I can only use one word. It's a Latin word, baloney, okay? They're, they're no good. Stay away from them. Find a good, solid Bible teacher that's going to give you good, solid Bible teaching. And Revelation, as we go through it in the next several months, you're going to find out, hopefully, that it is not as confusing as perhaps you think it is. And we're going to, go, we're going to walk through it together. Some people think it's just irrelevant. 
We have people, even in the church today, think it's irrelevant. Oh, we got to focus on now. we got to focus on the situation at hand. And they're right, we do. But we don't have to jettison the book of Revelation in order to do that. Because the Bible says that we are blessed who love his appearing. We are looking for the blessed hope of Christ's return. And so the book of Revelation should fuel and motivate us for the work at hand. And so it's very relevant and very necessary. And yet there are some people, even in the church, who think Revelation is just downright weird. Okay? It's just strange. It talks about weird creatures flying out of the abyss of the earth. It talks about giant boulders flying to earth. It talks about all kinds of marks of beasts and everything else. Revelation is just weird. But really it's not. Revelation is just a communication of what's coming from the vantage point of a first century man who received the message. Imagine living in A.D. 37 or 38 or when John lived and wrote A.D. 97 or 98 and tried to understand iPads and iPhones and jet planes and vehicles and TV. How would you couch that in language that people of your day can understand? So yeah, Revelation, I guess for some people who just give it a kind of cursory overview, it might seem a little weird, but it's not. So all those responses and reactions and many more are out there. But I like what Earl Palmer, uh, commentator and Bible teacher, said. He said, the reality is this with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is supremely a book about the, about the meaning of the lordship of the Redeemer Jesus Christ. After all, the book of Revelation is just that. It is a revelation. Take your Bibles and go with me to Revelation chapter 1 this morning. We're going to start at the beginning. Actually, you're going to look at the whole book this morning quickly. But if you're opening your Bible right now and you have an old King James in front of you, no, that's great. I love the old King James translation. Cut my teeth on it. The problem is the title in the old King James is not quite right. If you have an old King James that says the revelation of St. John the Divine, that's a bad title because number one, it's not John's revelation. And number two, John is not divine. If you want to find the title of the book of Revelation, let's look at the very first verse in the very first sentence. In Revelation 1, 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what this book about. That is who this book about is about. This book is about Jesus Christ. This book is about the revelation of who he is in his glory, what he's going to do when he comes back. And how he's going to bring to fruition all of human history. It's about Jesus Christ. You and I must remember that as we go through this book. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not a revelation of the Antichrist. This is not a revelation of some strange and weird teaching. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Gospels revealed the suffering Savior... Revelation reveals the conquering king. So as we read it, we begin as we start, as we look at the beginnings of this book. First of all, we see the sender. Now, most, Old Test most New Testament letters, rather, James, the letters of Paul and Peter, generally those letters are inspired by God as he has led those readers to write, leaders to write his message. And Paul oftentimes used a secretary to write for him. Paul had a vision problem. I can relate. And Paul usually had a secretary and Paul would dictate the revelation that God would give him and the person would write it down. 
And then it would be sent out to the churches. The letters of Paul generally have that. Same with Peter and, and James and John and others. But this revelation, this book is different because this is actually the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not from St. John. This is not from St. Paul. This is from Jesus himself. Jesus himself has brought this message. Jesus himself is revealing himself. And he's using John to write it down. And he is Jesus' secretary. So the sender is Christ. This book, this letter is a letter to you and I from Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, there are seven churches that were in existence in John's time that Jesus wrote to primarily and specifically. But they're just representative of the church throughout the ages. And Jesus is the sender. This is a letter from him to you and I. It is John who is the sent one. John has been sent to write this down. The interesting thing about John, this is the Apostle John. And he was late in his life. This is toward just before he was martyred. According to church history and church tradition, they tried to martyr him. By the time of Peter and Paul, the church uh, was under attack. And years later, when John was an elderly man living in what is modern-day Turkey, overseeing seven churches from his home base in the city of Ephesus, because he was one of the last surviving apostles, the rest of them had been martyred, killed brutally and violently, the Roman Empire, or Empire at the time wanted to do away with Christianity, so they found one of the last apostles, John. And they tried to execute him on the spot. They tried to boil him according to church tradition. They tried to boil him in a pot of oil. But the church historian says after they had the lid on, they lifted the lid, thought they would find boiling John there. John just stood up. Not only was he unharmed, but he was refreshed. Now, is that true or not? We don't know. It's church tradition. But we do know that after that, since they couldn't kill John, they sought to exile him. So they sent him to an island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos, which was a rocky island where there were mines where they would mine minerals and things like that. Very, it was not a paradise. It was just basically large rocks. And John had to live in one of those caves. And most likely he did slave labor mining there. And it was on the island of Patmos toward the end of the first century when John, a very old man, received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And God, through John, communicates to us how history is going to end. And so like Paul Harvey, John is telling us the rest of the story. Now, again, revelation has been thought of as being very difficult. Oh, my goodness. I, I just don't know if I can understand it. And it's scary and it's and it's all full of all kinds of weird things. But I want to tell you, one of the things I found as I was going through revelation is revelation is a blessing. You ever thought of revelation as a blessing? And the reason why is if you go back to Matthew chapter five, you have something called the Beatitudes. Y'all have heard the Beatitudes. This is where seven times Christ talked about blessing. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are they who seek God. Blessed. There are seven instances where Christ speaks of a blessed, blessedness that comes with yielding to him. But did you know in the book of Revelation, there's also seven Beatitudes or blessings in the book of Revelation? And they go through the entire book. And so we're going to use those as an overview of Revelation this morning. And I want to demonstrate to you, and I believe God wants to demonstrate that Revelation is not a book to be frightened of or a book to be titillated by. Rather, it is a writing to be blessed by, to be encouraged by, to be motivated by. Just as Jesus sought to motivate his disciples and us through those seven Beatitudes, 
to give us encouragement, to give us hope. Revelation is a book that gives us encouragement and hope. Let's continue on. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. There's your title. Which God gave to him to show his servants things which must now shortly take place. That's a bad translation in the English. The word shortly there should mean suddenly take place. In other words, people said, well, John said these things will shortly take place. And he wrote that nearly 2,000 years ago. He's not saying that these things were going to take place shortly after he wrote. He said when they do happen, they're going to be sudden. Things, when it starts happening, boom, it's going to start happening. And it's going to happen fast and it's going to happen furiously. That's the idea behind the Greek word there. It's unfortunately translated in English as soon. But it should be translated suddenly, quickly. When things start popping, man, they're going to start popping. He goes on to say, he sent and signified by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. In other words, John, the apostle, was the eyewitness and eyewitness of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was there from the beginning. He walked with Jesus for three years as he conducted his ministry. And then when Jesus was arrested and crucified, John was at the foot of his cross. All the other apostles were hiding, but John was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary. And he witnessed Jesus die on the cross. But then three days later, he saw the raised Jesus again. And John went on to be a great and mighty man of God through faith in this risen Christ. And Jesus had given John care of his mother. And church history and church tradition tells us that Jesus, or rather John and Mary, lived in the city of Ephesus, where John cared for Mary until her death. And so John was the one whom Jesus had sent the message to. And we see the first of these blessings, or the first of these beatitudes, and there are seven of them, just like in Matthew. There are seven of them in Revelation, but they're a bit different. They go along with What's going to happen? And so in verse 3, as we begin these blessings, as you see, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So the first beatitude, the first blessing, if you will, in the book of Revelation is there in chapter 1 and verse 3. And he's basically saying, Blessed are those who read and heed the words of Revelation. In other words, we're not supposed to be afraid of revelation or count revelation as something that's irrelevant. Revelation, after all, is the word of God. We should read it. We should get involved in it. We should interact with it. He said, blessed are those who read it. And then when he says hear, he's not just saying sit in here and then walk away. He's talking about heeding it and taking it to heart. Revelation, listen, listen, revelation was written to us as well as the first century Christians. And so if you want to receive a blessing from God, then you and I need to dive into Revelation. And we need to, that's why we're doing a series. We need to study it and we need to understand it. So that's the first beatitude, the first blessing. The second one, as we continue, we find in chapter 14. So go over to chapter 14. We're going to go all the way through the book of Revelation this morning in record time, hopefully. Revelation chapter 14 He's in the midst of discussing the events that will transpire during the period of time known as the tribulation period. A period of time when after God has taken the church out, he will judge the nations, Jews and Gentiles, for their rejection of Christ. 
Here's the second beatitude, the second blessing in verse 13. He said, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What's he saying there? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. In other words, blessed are those who have died in Christ. And during the tribulation period, there will be many believers who die for their faith. After struggling and striving with a world that is set against them. And so he says, blessed are they who die in the Lord. That's the key. If you know Christ as your Savior. If you've come to the place where you admit your sin and, 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 and cast your faith upon him as your Savior. You know him as your Savior. You've trusted him. Then yes, whether you, whether, whenever you die, if you know him, you're going to be blessed because you will die in the Lord and go to be with him. It's tragic when we lose somebody. It's difficult when we lose somebody. But when they know the Lord, it's also a time of rejoicing because we know they're not ultimately lost. They're with Christ and we will see them again. And so, yes, there will be a lot of difficult things going on in the future, a lot of difficult aspects of life. But one of the blessings of knowing the truths of Revelation, this is one of them. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. For they will cease from their struggle, from their labors, and their works will follow them. As we here live for Christ as believers, one day we will enjoy reward in heaven based upon what we've done for him. So the book of Revelation carries that blessing. Blessed are those who read and heed. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 15 gives us another beatitude. Go to 16. Told you we're going to be hopping around here this morning. Revelation chapter 16. You go home today, your friend said, what'd you do in church? Say, we covered the entire book of Revelation. As we get into chapter 16, God is sending bold judgments onto the earth during the tribulation period. God is sending judgment after judgment, wave after wave upon a human culture that has rejected his son. But in the midst of that judgment, in the midst of that harshness, Revelation 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Not that he's coming to steal anything, but a thief doesn't announce his presence. If you've ever had anything stolen from you, nobody said, Hey... I'll be at your house about 1130. I'm going to come and steal your furniture. Just wanted to let you know. Make sure you haven't had any other plans. Doesn't work that way. I've had stuff stolen from me. Nobody said, hey, 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 just so you'll know, uh, your wallet, I'm going to take it tomorrow. Oh, at about 126. I'll tell you, yesterday, Susan and I had to go out to uh, Cornelius to do a couple of things. And I had my wallet, wallet on my lap because we stopped and got a soda. And when I got out of the car, my wallet fell on the ground outside my car. I didn't know it. And so we walked all over Cornelius, getting done what we needed to get done. And we were walking back to the car. And my wife, who has better vision than I am, said, look at our car. I said, what about it? She goes, isn't that your wallet next to the door? (laughs) All of a sudden, my, my stomach just fell. But fortunately, there was no one around there. But my wallet was right there. My debit card was bright red and it was poking out. So I'm watching my account. They didn't take anything, but I was like, okay, I got his thing. But anyway, they didn't announce it. Hey, buddy, I saw your wallet by your car. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I took it. 
No, thieves don't announce. They just come. They just happen. Catch us unaware. That's what Jesus is going to do. That's why it's imperative that we be ready. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed, there's that word again, is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In other words, you're careful, you're ready, you're prepared. You're not just grabbing up and running and all of a sudden you find yourself embarrassed. No, no. Blessed are those who are alert and prepared. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared for when Christ comes? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Have you trusted Him and only Him to take you to heaven? None of us, as we said last week, as we talked about a new year, none of us are guaranteed a new year. None of us are guaranteed a new day, a new hour. Death will come and snatch us. Or not just death, but we, I believe we are living in a time when the rapture, the, the, the catching away of the church could happen at any moment. And no, I'm not going to give you a date in the, in the series of this messages. Forget it. Because God said he's going to come as a thief. Thieves don't give you dates. And so anything can happen anytime. Are you ready to stand before God? Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to face death? He says, blessed are those who are alert and will not be ashamed. So that is the third. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Tell you, we're hopping, man. We're going. Revelation chapter 19. As we're moving through the prophetic events in this book, Revelation chapter 19, we come to some things that will be going on in heaven. The Bible tells us that at one time in heaven, during this period, that there will be called an event that will happen. There are all kinds of things going on in heaven. Anybody ever tell you heaven's going to be boring? I talked with somebody not too long ago, and they said, I don't know if I'm really excited about going to heaven. I said, why not? He said, because, man, heaven sounds boring. Heaven sounds, you know, everybody's sitting around on white clouds and floating around and nothing to do. Heaven is going to be nothing like that. Heaven is going to be a bright, loud, colorful, excited, celebratory place. Man, if you want to read about heaven, read Revelation 4 and 5 on your own sometime this week. There's going to be a party, man. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. Heaven is going to be lit with gorgeous colors and and the foundations of God's holy city, beautiful gemstones. And there's going to be thunderings and lightnings. And there's going to be celebrations and gatherings. One of them is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. A marriage supper. Have you ever been to a wedding and then there's a reception following a wedding? Those can be exciting sometimes. Those can be downright funny sometimes. I've been to wedding receptions where you go and people do stuff they normally wouldn't do in a regular life. My favorite is when people post on Facebook, well, there's Aunt Maggie doing the hustle, okay? And uh, Aunt Maggie's embarrassed now for the rest of her life, stuff that happens. And when I was younger, maybe even still now, I tend to pull pranks on people at their wedding receptions. But anyway, we won't get into that too much. But it's a time of celebration, man. You have good food and everybody's having a great time and you're celebrating the marriage of a couple. Well, here's the thing, church. Throughout the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is referred to as the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. And we have been engaged to him. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 speaks of the Holy Spirit as our engagement ring. And the word is used in the Greek, Arabon, engagement ring. And one day we will then attend our own marriage supper. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that we are already creating our marriage gown by how we live our lives. 
You know, the wedding dress is very important to brides many times. You know, they go get fittings. They go shop around. Sometimes, sometimes ladies will pay for wedding dresses that cost more than the house they're going to live in. And they get to wear it a grand total of one time, okay? But they get all fancied up. And the Bible says we actually create our wedding gown as we live our lives. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. But the marriage supper of the Lamb is our wedding reception. When we, the church of Jesus Christ, are, are finally with the bride, Christ, or the groom, Christ, and we are celebrating with him. I'll tell you, heaven is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And he says in chapter 19 and verse 9, Then he said to me, Right, blessed, there's the word, are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These things are true sayings of God. In other words, we're going to be blessed. If we read the book of Revelation, we find out that we are going to be blessed as we celebrate with Christ. Heaven is going to be a time of grand celebration and joy. There's going to be a party, a grand feast, and we're going to be greeted. And we are the guest of honor, in a sense. We are the bride of Christ, and he is the bridegroom. And Revelation speaks of that aspect. While the earth will be in turmoil... The earth will be judged and struggling. The church of Jesus Christ will be celebrating with him in heaven. Oh my goodness, I don't know about you, but I cannot wait. And of course, you know me, I'm wondering, what are we going to eat? Because when you have, you know, what are you going to eat? And somebody said, well, you know, Brother Mike, they're not going to kill any animals in heaven. Well, we have a debate on whether animals are getting there or not. But anyway, I remember something Rick McDaniel once said to me. He said, Mike, we'll have rib-flavored salad. <laughs> You know, that doesn't do much for me. I don't know about y'all. But I figure I'm going to have my new glorious body and it's all going to be good. But listen, guys, we're going to celebrate in heaven. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. And we're going to have this grand reception. And where do we find out about this? The book of Revelation. You say, Pastor, do you believe that's going to happen? You better know I believe it's going to happen. How come? Because God said it was true. So blessed are those who read and heed, who read the book of Revelation and take its message to heart. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Because listen, that's how we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are paying attention and alert so stuff doesn't just sneak up on us in our shame. Blessed are those who will celebrate with Christ as we celebrate in heaven. Then verse 20, chapter 20, rather, join me in verse 6. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 as we continue our march through the book of Revelation as we see these seven statements of blessing, these beatitudes of Revelation. And as we look in the contents, uh, context of this passage, it speaks of the fact that we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. This morning in Sunday school, we, we looked at the last two chapters in the book of Zechariah. I love the book of Zechariah. We just finished a series on Zechariah on Wednesday night just a few weeks ago. And Zechariah gives us tremendous detail as to the second coming of Christ. His goal was to encourage the Jews who had been held captive and beaten down, who had returned home and found their homes in the temple of God in ruins. And God used Zechariah, raised him up to encourage them and give them a sense of wonder and excitement for Christ is coming. And we can anticipate that. And we can celebrate that. And one day Jesus is going to come at the end of that judgment period, that tribulation period. And he's going to set up a kingdom of peace 
for a thousand years. You've heard of it talked about as the millennial kingdom, where Christ himself will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and he himself personally will rule and reign for a thousand years. Those of us who have known Christ and who die in Christ before all of this, we also will rule and reign with him for these thousand years. And that's what John is talking about in the context of chapter 20. As we pick it up in verse 6, he says this. He said, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. First resurrection, second death, what does he mean? Well, let me explain this very quickly. How many people here were born? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, all of us, okay? Dan didn't raise his hand. Pray for Dan. Anyway, we all were physically born. If we are physically born and we die without rejecting Christ, we will have only experienced one birth. But we will have experienced two deaths. Because if we die with Christ, without Christ, die disbelieving, the word death means separation. We will be separated from our bodies. And then there's what Revelation later calls the second death. We will then be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. So there's one birth, two deaths. However, if you and I are born, which I think everybody has been physically born, but then according to John chapter 3, we believe on Christ and become born again spiritually, We'll have two births, but there'll only be one death, the physical death. For we will never be cast away completely from Christ. We will be in heaven with him forever. And the moment you receive Christ as Savior, you will one day be raised up to new life with him in glory. So if you know Christ as your Savior, you will not only be raised up to reign with him in glory, but yes, you will rule with him on the planet as he reigns in his thousand years. There will be plenty to do. There will be positions. As we judge our faithfulness and as God judges our faithfulness, there will be places where we will rule and reign with him. So summarize it. One death, one birth, two deaths. That's not what you want. Rather, through Christ, if we have two births, physical and spiritual, then we'll experience only one death and we'll live and reign with him forever. That's a blessing. That's what Revelation tells us. Very clearly, and I I know John had that exchange with Nicodemus and Jesus from John 3 in his mind. You must be born again. It's a reminder again that blessed are those who have trusted Christ. And by trusting him, we'll receive that first resurrection. And we'll rule and reign with him forever. So blessed is he who is holy and has, has, has his part in that first resurrection. And we will rule and reign with him. And so blessed are those who are raised with Christ. See, here's the thing. We know that we will be raised because Jesus rose. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is not just another dead religious leader. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Jesus Christ is alive and living. And because he rose, when we place our faith and trust in him, one day we will rise. He goes on to tell us, blessed are those who believe and heed the book of Revelation. Again, Revelation chapter 22. Let's keep going. 
Revelation chapter 22. We're, we're nearing the end of the book. We're covering it all. <coughs> Revelation chapter 22, as the time of human history runs out. In chapter 22, the, the clock of human history is running down. Soon time will give way to eternity with Christ for all those who come to know him. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 22, Behold, I am coming quickly. And again, that word quickly is suddenly. Behold, I am coming suddenly. When you least expect it, unless you're prepared and trusting. He says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You cannot ignore the book of Revelation. You cannot push it aside. You cannot set it aside. Is it difficult? Sometimes it is. But it's necessary to give you and I encouragement. It's necessary to give us motivation to go out and communicate the gospel so that we might bring all that we know with us to be with Christ in heaven. Instead of going to heaven and celebrating the party without those we love, my goodness, how tragic it would be to know Christ, to honor Him, to live for Him, and yet not tell any of your family, your friends. How can you be a friend to somebody if you haven't told them about Christ? How can you say you love your family if you hadn't shared the gospel? And we are motivated to do that by reading the words of Revelation and keeping them, hearing them. And the word keep literally means to guard and hold them tight. So blessed are those who believe and heed specifically the book of Revelation. Interesting thing, two of these blessings say basically the same things, don't they? They say basically the same thing. Hear it, believe it, hold it. That's why it's so important. And then we finally come to the last beatitude in Revelation chapter 22 in verse 14. In Revelation chapter 22. See, I told you I'd take you through the whole book. And you'll still get to go to lunch. Revelation chapter 22. Jesus is giving his last word in this book. He's assuring the churches that he's writing to and ultimately us, the church. And he says this in verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That they may have the right to to the tree of life. And enter through the gate into the city. The tree of life, what is that? Well, that was in the midst of the Garden of Eden. God, after Adam and Eve had fallen, after they rebelled against him, God had to banish Adam and Eve from the garden. Because if had, had they have eaten of the tree of life again, they would have lived forever. And God said no. He told them when they ate of that fruit, they would die. And God keeps his word, both negatively and positively. But one day when we're in heaven, enjoying heaven with him, we'll be able to feast on that tree. We'll be able to enjoy all the life and blessings that God has to give. And so as we finish this last blessing, we're reminded that blessed are those who stay cleansed by his word because we will enjoy blessings that we can't even imagine in heaven. We will be fed, filled, and satisfied for all eternity. Bottom line is we ignore the Bible to our own peril. We shove the book of Revelation to our own detriment away. So these are the seven blessings, the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Revelation isn't scary. It's not irrelevant. It's not confusing and weird, ultimately. 
Yes, it has difficult parts. Yes, sometimes the message is hard to hear. But we worship a God who, yes, He's love, but He's also righteous, just, and holy. And He will judge sin. He has to, otherwise He's not God. But He is love, and He provides salvation and, and, and eternity to all who would come to Him by faith. And as you read the book of Revelation, you see the fruition. You see the final, the final curtain on humanity. And it's a book that deals, yes, with the wonderful and amazing, but it also deals with the sadness and difficulty and the reality of life that has rejected God. But Revelation isn't a burden, folks. It's a blessing. And seven times through this book, as he carries out these prophecies and shares these events, he constantly reaches out a hand and says, listen, you can be blessed if you heed my word. So the beginning of Revelation, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his book. It's about him. Jesus is the sender. John is just the sent. He's just the secretary. Revelation over and over and over again, speaks of the blessedness of knowing this book and reading this book. And yes, it's difficult. But it's also exciting. Because in the midst of the difficulty, God still reaches out a hand. Blessed, seven times, seven times. In the Gospels in Matthew 5, seven Beatitudes, seven blessings conferred on those who for the next 2,000 years will struggle in the world. And then at the end times, Jesus gives seven more blessings for those who will struggle with the culmination of those times. And through all of it, God reaches down. Because as we come to the final benediction of the book, I called it this because a benediction is a wonderful final blessing that someone is left with. In many very um, high church organizations, the, the, the leader always grants, gives, or says a benediction, a final blessing. Well, God does this through Christ in the book of Revelation there at the very end. As we're still in verse chapter 22, rather, I want to take you all the way down to verse 20. We started in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to end this morning in chapter 22, verses 21 and 20. And here he gives the benediction. He says, he who testified, testifies to these things says, surely I am coming Quickly. I'm coming suddenly. Oh, but they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Well, God is not bound by time. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. He's coming as a thief in the night. He could come at any time and take us home. And you say, oh, but is the rapture close? Don't worry about the rapture. You and I could drop dead at any minute. I don't mean to be Donnie Downer, but that's the reality. We get all enamored with when's the rapture going to happen? When's it going to, I'm all get, oh my goodness. I remember in our church in Tampa, our pastor actually named a date one time. He followed the teachings of some guy named Wisnut. I called him Wise Nut, okay? But in 1988, this guy put out a pamphlet that said the rapture's happening in September and he named the date. And we had people in our church buying cars they couldn't afford, holding off having kids, doing all kinds of things. And guess what? It didn't happen because here we are. And we lost several families because of that stupidity. 
I'm not going to sit here and name a date. Here's the thing. I don't get too twisted about, about when the rapture is going to happen. Because I could get in my car driving home today and get in an accident. I'll be raptured already right there. Don't get, oh, I'm all right because the rapture isn't going to happen yet. You don't know if you have another breath in your body. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to be, I'm just telling you the truth. God comes immediately, no matter how he comes. He who testified these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And John answers back, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus prayed the prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as he leaves this final benediction, he gives a final promise. I am coming back. I am coming back for you. When I was a little boy, whenever my mom and dad dropped me off somewhere, I was always comforted because I know they were coming back. Sometimes I wondered, but I usually knew they were coming back. They probably didn't want to sometimes, but they did come back. I'm comforted in knowing whether I, whether I drop dead and go to heaven or whether he blows the trumpet and takes me to heaven. Through faith in Christ, he's going to come get me. And if you know Christ, he's going to come get you. He's coming back. And that's the promise of Revelation. He is coming back. And then he gives a final word. And this is the word that summarizes it all. It says in verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That word grace speaks of God's unmerited love. You and I don't deserve a thing from God. But notice in Revelation, seven blessings in the midst of the calamity and chaos. Why does God do that? Because he's reaching out that hand of grace. God always gives a chance. God always gives an opportunity. Even when people are pushing him away. So Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. Revelation is all about the blessings of knowing Christ and walking with Him. Revelation is about the benediction, the blessing of Christ. He's coming back, that's a promise, and He offers grace. Unmerited love. You can't earn God's love. You can't, you can't buy God's favor. He gives it as a gift. So again, Revelation, it's not scary. It's not weird. It's exciting. Earl Palmer goes on to say, listen, Revelation is for the blessed. He says, this book is about power, God's power. It's about battle. Yes, there are difficult scenes. It's about the battle between righteousness and wickedness. It's about freedom, being set free from this broken, fallen, and tangled world. It's about faith, trusting in God that he is who he is and he will do what he said he would do. Yes, it's about evil and its destruction. But it's also about hope, confident anticipation. So let me leave you with this last word from the Apostle Peter, because the Apostle Peter touched a little bit on prophet, prophetic words and the end times. And, and in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this, he says, and so, you know, we talked about your attitude. Is it scary? Is it, here's the attitude we should approach with all of this stuff, prophecy in the book of Revelation. Peter said, look, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We heard that already. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This speaks of, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, Christ is going to renovate the earth and recreate it through fire. He promised he wouldn't do it through flood, remember? But he's going to recreate it through fire and flame, purify it. 
This is what Peter's referring to. And he says this as he finishes and as we finish. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what things? Everything. Everything you see, the chairs you're sitting in, this building that we, many people idolize. Your money, your job, your home. All these things will be dissolved. And here's, here's the thing, as we approach this and as we get ready to dive into this book for the next little while, he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So here's the final attitude that we should approach with, approach revelation with. It needs to motivate us to let Christ transform our heart and mind. And instead of focusing on the earthly stuff, fix our gaze on glory. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.